The Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Czar. Hey, what's up, Chet? Oh, not too much. How are you, Mike? I'm pretty good. I'm just uh, getting myself comfortable for this podcast, which is about dark art, and that is, in fact, the topic today. It certainly is. I'm taking time out of my busy schedule to do this podcast about dark art. I hope you appreciate it. I'm jealous because I'm I'm looking at you holding this cigarette, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I just I I managed to get a half a one down before we started. So oh, I'm sorry. And yet here we are. I apologize. Well, I live in a smoking house as opposed to a non-smoking house. You're the smart yes. one, but you know you don't get to smoke in your house. So we each have our ways, you know. Yours is the better way. I don't know. I don't know about better or worse, but. I'm so good for doing it. I, I have to, you know, I immediately have to, you know, you you dignified yourself in the last podcast as the dark art evangelist. So, you know, you really should be kicking kicking it off and talking about uh, probably the most important thing that you would like to interject right away, you know, concerning that particular topic. Wow, the most important thing. Um, or at least the first thing that comes to your mind anyway, like stream of consciousness. Well... I will say this. I got uh, an email today that I forward to, forwarded to you about someone who just watched I Like to Paint Monsters, the documentary you made about me. And he was saying how uh, inspired he was and how he felt the same way about so many things. And and basic, basically he was talking about the healing power of dark art, I guess, in not so many words. And I think that's the most important part of dark art. That's the most important aspect of it, is this this healing aspect, this accepting this darkness in ourselves and uh, turning it into a piece of art instead of turning it inward and becoming self-destructive or whatnot. Well, what seemed interesting to me, too, was that, you know, for like, I know at least for you and I, our experiences of utilizing, you know, art as a venue for fleshing out or at least purging these dark things within us started at a very young age. And it was really facilitated by our primary group, which, you know, our moms and dads, at least in my case, both. And in your case, more predominantly your mom. But nevertheless, this particular individual that emailed you, you know, he was having these realizations later in his life, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, I think it was interesting, too, to see that the documentary w- was salient both to people that mostly we've heard from people that have talked about how they relate to it as, you know, the upbringing, the, their childhood and things of that nature. Whereas it's interesting to see that somebody could grapple with it at having come to that new realization of the healing power of dark art at, you know, a later stage in their life anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, it's the thing that uh, uh, I hear a lot about the documentary is I've had really similar experiences as you. And that's what I've, I guess said all along is, is that, um, you know, more of us have had these experiences rather than uh, God, we're going <laughs> to have to edit. <laughs> completely fucked up. I I think, but it's obvious to me what you're saying is, is that, that, you know, it's more often the case. It's more often the case rather than, you know, it's not atypical that you've had these experiences. Rather, it's typical. It's atypical that we don't discuss it, you know. Right. What's typical is to not discuss it, as it were. Right. And that goes for, you know, it's weird. That goes for paranormal and supernatural stuff. And it also goes for the dark art impulse i suppose you know because that's such it's not embraced on any level except by the most liberal of parents i believe or the most liberal of people uh that may not be true but yeah i mean i because I, w- I would speak to that to say that like for instance you know my mom she has a, a master's degree in childhood development but my mom you know came from the late 60s in in grad school into the 70s and was kind of an oaky and while they're definitely, you know, on the democratic scale of things, 
they're they're by no means liberals, uh, you know. But my mom right. yet nevertheless knew that it was necessary to allow me my natural process and not to force me to stuff that under a rug until you know there's this lump there that's disproportionate to the you know the rug itself. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's a time period thing. It's a seventies era type thing because that's you know when I've got notes. It's in the there's a one one of them is in the back. The, on the very last page of my Black Magic art book that has a little form that my mom had to fill out when I was in preschool about how I was filling in my circles with paint and whether I let the paint run or drip or whether I was neat and clean, which obviously I wasn't. But um, that was <clears throat> such a 70s thing, very much about childhood development and, and <clears throat> letting the child express themselves and that sort of thing. So it could be that era that we came out of, even though you're 10, 10 years younger than me or 15, you're 15 years younger than me, aren't you? Or 13? Yeah, I guess I'm 37. How old are you? I'm um, 49, so 12 years. Mm. But our parents are, well, they would be the similar. Of, they're kind of close in age, right? Well, yeah, because my, you know, my parents both just turned 70. So Right, and my parents died, what, uh a year and two years ago or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Around that age. So anyway. Well, I think though that again, it's, you know, I think the point that you were making and and that was an interesting, you know, sideline to that is that there are a lot of different things that fall under that, that category of things that aren't really discussed. And yet it seems to be a human phenomenon, you know, whether those are seeing things that seemingly other people can't see, you know, you want to, if you want to put that in the paranormal category or whether that's, you know, Having a having a psychedelic experience that causes you you know your visual cortex to widen and to see more than you would normally see, or to do art and to bring out something that's never been brought out before into the world. And I think in all those cases, what you're dealing with is taking something that is in the unknown properly and bringing it into the known. And then, like you would like to say, shining a light in the dark to actually see the thing. And once you see it, it's demystified, you know, in many ways. Right. And I would say that. All art kind of does that, especially surreal art, you know, or fantasy art or whatever you want to call it. But I think what's unique to the dark art movement is that we're bringing out, specifically we're bringing out things that you normally don't want to bring out, you don't want to look at, or you don't want to admit that you're afraid of. And I think... Or or for that matter, to interject, you don't want to admit that you're attracted to. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I've I've had more than one friend uh, that grew up in a conservative religious household whose uh, parents said they were demon-possessed because they liked monster movies. You know, I mean, how stupid is that? And that's... That's a very real thing. Yeah. It's, and I would say, you know, that's maybe the extreme end of the other side of it, but I would say more more often than not, it's the case that it's not really uh, looked positively upon, you know. I know that you had experiences in school when you were drawing your mutilated monsters, torture chambers where the teachers yep. thought you were, uh, you know, mentally dangerous. Yeah, like, well, and, and in fact, I mean, I even had elementary school teachers you know, call home to my mom. And I didn't know this at the time. And, and that was kind of the interesting thing about my mom was that she didn't want to allow their perceived ideas about what it was that I was doing, you know, put some kind of a sentiment of persecution upon me. And so I didn't find this out till later. But, you know, ultimately that one of the elementary school teachers called, it was the second grade, and they they called home and told my mom, hey, you know, we're concerned about the nature of his artwork. I mean, he's drawing you know, people chopping off other people's heads and shooting them and it's gory and it's scary. And, you know, and basically my mom didn't know what to do evidently and called her mother, my grandmother. And ultimately my grandma was like, you know what, you know, you, Mike's a good kid, you know, he's a good kid. And obviously they're concerned, but that doesn't mean you have to be. And so my mom took that and, you know, combined that with her experience with childhood development and ultimately made the decision not to say anything to me and to tell the teacher, Hey, don't worry about it. You know? Yeah, that's cool. It says a lot about her uh, as a person. That's really pretty cool. Because, yeah, you have to take the the whole person into account. Um, you know, there, if there could be potential serial killers if they're torturing animals and doing this and doing 
you know, horrible, creepy artwork, then there might be an issue. But I don't think that alone is an issue. I mean, that's not like an indicator. I agree. I, I agree. The, the, I had a similar thing happen with my mother and the school, except it wasn't, it didn't have to do with dark art, but it's kind of funny. So I thought I would uh, mention it. I was drawing in the fifth grade and I, uh, I was drawing a picture of Kiss <laughs> and it was so good. It was, it was the best drawing I had done up until that point. And I remember it was your, your coup de grace. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was my masterpiece. And I was drawing it. The teacher kept saying, put it away, put your drawing away. And then, she, you know, she only said it t- maybe two times and I just had to finish this one thing and she grabbed it and ripped it up right in front of me. I was oh. so fucking pissed. And I went and I told my mom and my mom got so pissed that she went down to the school and had a conference with the teacher, which is so awesome. Great. So great. So yeah, we had those supportive mothers when it came to that. And so um, I guess we didn't shy away from it. But I guess it's, you know, it's encouraging to get back to that email that you brought up, I guess, originally is that, that, you know, somebody who didn't perhaps have that kind of upbringing and who struggled with perhaps suicidal tendencies and struggled with, you know, feeling alienated and isolated and scared and anxious and all of these things who, you know, discovered through their own processes, but also augmented by the process of having seen the film, you know, having this experience of like, wow, this is a healthy thing. And this is helping me to feel uplifted and freed of a burden of, you know, that I've been shouldering, I didn't even perhaps realize I was shouldering, or if I did realize I didn't know how to unburden myself. And so that's, it's amazing to hear that someone could be affected in that way by, you know, that that type of art, that that particular structure being filmed, you know, yeah, and that's what the Dark Art Society concept is all about. And the Dark Art Society podcast and Dark Art in general is that we're sharing these feelings. Uh, we're being, I'll say we're being brave enough to show them to the public and risking marginalization or being ridiculed or being seen as a weirdo. We're risking that so that we can hopefully touch other people that feel the same way and that will feel empowered by seeing that artwork somewhere in public, you know? Right. Absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, there's a certain, at least again for me, and I think that every different person embodies a different set of characteristics, not only just because, you know, uh, physically, physiologically, they are, uh, you know, a, a specific genetic creation, but further than that, you know, environmentally, everyone is just so different as a result of all the circumstances and confluence of seemingly random events that come together to create what a person is. And so, but, and with that said, being the caveat, for me as a young child, these things, like again in the second grade I was drawing, I hadn't seen them in my world. So it wasn't like I was, you know, uh, drawing something I'd seen in a bad movie that was scary. My parents were very, uh, you know, careful about what it was that I watched and they monitored and paid attention and made, you know, scrupulous decisions about what it was that I was exposed to literature as well as film and music. And so, especially at that age. So, you know, ultimately, whatever it was that I was you know, fleshing out and purging and dealing with in the, you know, this world was something that I, and for me, I knew at the time and my parents eventually learned was coming from my dreams. And so I was seeing these horrific, terrifying, violent visions that I had not, I had no reference for really in my waking life. And yet I was seeing them nonetheless. And so I had to do something with that. And, and it's, so it's just, it's kind of interesting because for some people, I think there's this innate, it's like your, your brother, your mom, your sister, everybody in the documentary. And I like to paint monsters says, you know, there was this innate urge and attraction to, and, uh, need, you know, to, do that to create that kind of dark artwork. And I think that, you know, for some people, I wonder, I guess, if for some people that is always there and they just never act upon it as a result of the circumstances, or if they discover that later and they're attracted to it and maybe they always were just interesting questions concerning that whole dark art thing and where that comes from, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I think tattoo culture has a lot to do with bringing this kind of thing out into the open as well. Um, I, I think, the tattoo culture is really the kind of unsung hero of dark art in a way because so uh, a lot of tattoo art is dark and and weird and twisted and uh, covers the subject matter that a lot of dark art does which is skulls and monsters and stuff like that and the with the the rise in popularity of 
tattooing and sort of making it into the mainstream, that's that was almost the precursor to this dark art movement gaining more acceptance, I think. I think without the tattoo culture starting it, dark art would be further behind than it is now, you know? I do. I do. I do agree with that. I mean, I think that now it's hard. It's kind of chicken and egg. It's hard to say if one was the precursor to the other or if they built in tandem. And especially, again, when we're talking about this term dark art, and I guess it might help for people to for it to, you know, to delineate for the audience a little bit. You know, we both recognize that dark art is not new. So it's not like we're talking about this thing that's like, oh, dark art is being more accepted now than it once was. It goes through these waves of being more or less accepted. You look at Goya, you know, you Mm -hmm. look at. He's, you know, or Geeker, you know, throughout the the eras and the ages and the decades and the centuries that have been doing this type of artwork, it has gone through waves of more or less being accepted depending upon the dominant paradigm of the time, you know, the culture at any given point in time that those things were occurring. And I do see a resurgence and I do think that tattooing has a lot to do with making it more mainstream ultimately. Yeah. Tattooing and probably uh, uh, the horror genre getting kind of more mainstream acceptance than it used to. I don't know why it's all happening. In a way, I think it's because there's more people in the world, and with more people, there's more of everything and more eyes to see more kinds of art, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, and, and I guess I'm curious what, what you think makes dark art. I mean, what what is, you know, what would dignify something as dark art versus any other type of art movement? That is a good question. Um, let's see. Let's think about this. I mean, it's not like I'm trying to put it in a nice, neat little box with a nice, neat little category and pin it down. I'm just simply saying that it's it's a curious topic of discussion to wonder what is and isn't and what makes it and what doesn't, you know, and trying to right. feel it out and understand it better. Yeah, well, let me say first off, a lot of people don't like the term, and it's understandable, I guess, but, uh, you know – a successful art movement is going to be named something, whether you like it or not, eventually. And I know I've said this before, probably on the Transgression podcast during our great dark art debate, and maybe even on the first podcast we did. But uh, uh, I don't know that if if we wait around for the perfect term which no artists are never going to agree on one term, you know, for one thing. Well, unless you're like this, this tiny little group, like, you know, the, the Dottists were where they were, you know, a small group of people that were doing right. a very specific thing in a very, yeah, a localized mm-hmm. area. And it wasn't in the world of the internet. It wasn't where people could be doing things all over the world simultaneously and not know other people were doing it. So it changes the dynamic too. And yeah. Do continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the name is kind of already there, and it's, like I've said a million times, everybody's already calling it that. I'm just like, okay, we have a name, let's move on, and, and you know, kind of go with the flow. I've seen the, the, what do we even call the contemporary art scene right now that they're calling it pop surrealism, as far as the, you know, the, the crowd I show with. Um, right, right. You know, there's pop surrealism, which came kind of at a lowbrow, and now they're calling, and then they were calling it new contemporary is the new one, which I think is lame. New contemporary isn't contemporary mean new? Yeah, so, so basically that's redundant. It's saying as... new, new, and it and it also has no balls whatsoever. New contemporary sounds so weak and wimpy. Ugh, but um. The po- my point is that we've tried to name movements and, and it's like they just don't stick and people keep, you know, well, pop surrealism stuck, I guess. Lowbrow stuck, but lowbrow was unintentional. That was a Robert Robert Williams um, naming <clears throat> naming one of his books as, you know, kind of a tongue-in-cheek title of the, the lowbrow art of Robert, Robert Williams, I think, and that stuck. 
And so case in point, it was an unintentional name that was inevitably applied and still continues to right. prevail. And, and that's what it's called, whether you like it or not. And, you know, a lot of people don't like Lowbrow. I thought Lowbrow was a great name because it's, I like you know, it too. It's, it's, it's funny and it's irreverent. It's kind of, you know, basically saying fuck you to the art establishment, you know, to, to highbrow art. And that's the way to go, I think. But, um. So anyway, I, I think the dark art title is fine and descriptive and, and, and you know, I've, I've said this before, but onto what dark art is. And <clears throat> I guess it's different for everybody, but to me it is stuff that's centered around, you know, I don't want to say horror, but there is an element of horror in there. Um but there's so many layers to what horror can be. Yeah, definitely. But but I, I would say that it it focuses on the darker side of the psyche. You know, that's probably a good overall little wrapping it up in a nutshell. But to me, there has to be a sense of mystery to it and kind of a dreamlike quality a fantasy element to it. Um, but that that's how I see it, you know. When you look at the greater dark art world out there, you've got, you know, crappy horror art on one end, and then you've got some really amazing stuff that was probably closer to surrealism than, you know, horror art. But it's still, I, I think it's in that in that realm of art, you know. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, I mean, and it makes me wonder, like, just to throw throw it out there. And it's, you know, again, Alex Gray being someone that I got to meet through making the documentary, you know, his his work is in many ways, I guess, on the lighter side, or at least it's more colorful, if nothing else. But, um, it, you know, thinking of you sitting there with his book in your hand and him standing there with his book in your hand and just the, the way you both look and the way the books look, it's this amazing, you know, diametrically opposed forces. And yet on some level, I do consider Alex Gray's art dark art. I mean, even though, and that's why I think it's interesting because like you said, everyone has their own taste, their own opinion, their own idea of what it may or may not be, you know, but for me, I mean, some might say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's visionary art or it's, or it's, you know, a uh, uh, visionary surrealism or whatever. But for me, dark art could be visionary. And so you get into these weird lines and I, when I look at his work, I, th I think, cause what he's showing us is something that you know, we wouldn't ordinarily see and whatever we wouldn't ordinarily see has a tendency to be a, a little scary, even if it's not dark. You see what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I think his stuff goes, you know, it goes into dark art once in a while. He's done stuff that's, you know, like that, um, that tree of life painting, you know, the one where half of it's all apocalyptic and half of it's all, you know, the garden of Eden. Yeah. Um, that kind of I could see that showing in a dark art setting and I, he's done some skull type stuff and some weird stuff that would kind of fall under that but I do think the majority of his work really is it's but I mean a lot of the stuff on 10,000 days even the cover the whole entire cover of the thing is yeah, these very you're right, you're right. dark grayish black faces that are repetitive and they go into this yeah. kind of infinitive space and they look very morose well, and kind of in, in, you know impending look, yeah look at the vicarious video you know that was the that tool video um, where Alex and I worked on it and I art directed the outer world and he art directed the inner world and um <clears throat> They both kind of go together, you know. It doesn't seem like they're two, uh, you know, uh, colliding forces or anything. They kind of feel right together, I think. But um, although, you know, you could say I was designing the dark side and he was designing the light side as well, you know. But there, you'd, I guess the basic point you're making is that there is a gray area. It's not completely black and white. But um, I remember one thing when we were talking about this on the transgression podcast, I think it was Damien that said, uh, you know, he's like, I just call it dark art. It kind of, he had this attitude. Like I, you know, I, when I, I know it, when I see it kind of thing. And, um, I think most people 
people know it when they see it. It's just kind of obvious when you see it, you know. Uh, but I, I mentioned in the last podcast that we need to, I believe that as artists, we need to raise the quality level as high as we can because there is a lot of kind of not great dark art. And I'm not sure why that is. But, um, you know, I, I want, I would speak to that just a little bit because I obviously being a purveyor of uh, Facebook and other social media platforms and, and it being a part of my work and my job as well as just, you know, a, a way to socialize. Ultimately, I, I see a lot of, a lot of it, <laughs> good and bad, um, and in between ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the reasons why that happens is because a lot of the time dark art gives a person a license to create from their internal domain. And so, you know, when they're creating from their internal domain and they have this license to do so, they may not possess, uh, you know, years of technical know-how and skill from working with sculpture and lighting and shadow and or even have any education, whether that's practical or scholastic. And so they're, they're trying to work from this internal train, which is great, but if you don't have the, the technical skills, the form and all of these things down, and, you know, relativity and these key things you have to have, then ultimately you're still doing this art, dark art, but because it's missing that quality, it leaves the viewer feeling a little bit like, oh, well, I can see what's off and I shouldn't be able to see what's off. And so it makes me not feel like it's good. And then it denigrates to whatever degree the quality of some of the other stuff that you might give more time to, I think. Right. Yeah, maybe as a as a result of becoming more accepted, it will raise the standards as well, you know. More people would do it, and so then, of course, the more people that do it, the, the greater competition, the more the standards would go up. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. But, like you said, it's always been there, I guess, and comes in waves. But, you know, it, it, we're still in the in the Giger era in a way. You know, it's not like Giger was big and now he's not big anymore. It's like Giger's still kind of going up and Bekshinsky's definitely going up. More and more awareness of his work. And um, so, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to think about when when it started. It seems like this period maybe started in the 60s almost. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's when Giger started doing his stuff, but... Well, and you know what's interesting, too, is it's like you think about painting and sculpting and drawing. And these are things that if these are, are you know, um, things that people, human beings have been doing as long as human beings have been around and doing, you know, speaking and doing agriculture and, you know, having language and, you know, r- writing things down. And so, they, you know, painting's been around forever. And so it's easy to look at, you know, painting and start to put movements on it and say, okay, well, this movement is, you know, Baroque and this movement is dark art and this movement is, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, contemporary or whatever. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, then you get into this new era of, you know, the, the 1900s and the advent of film and the advent of being able to record music and all of these things. And a lot of those things, I think, have been chalked up to, uh, you know, media. And the media has become a separate category, like somehow media is not art, right? Because, you know, people have been painting forever, so it's easy to call right. that art. But it's harder to look at a film or it's harder to listen to an album and perceive it in the same, through that same filter and under the same light that you would perceive something that it's been around time immemorial. And so for me, it's interesting. You and I have discussed before David Lynch and how we consider him a dark artist. And clearly he has fine art. He does painting. He does sculpting. Mm-hmm. He does the whole gambit. But I would consider his films pieces of dark art filmmaking. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I, I would say that most film critics would call it dark surrealism, which is an, another really actually good term for dark art and kind of an interchangeable term. It sounds a little fancier. You know, <laughs> well, and it's also piggybacking off of something that most people are familiar with and have a foothold right. in, and it's it's been legitimized over a period of you know what uh, nearly a hundred years now. Yep, yep. I don't know. I don't know what to say now. Oh, well, I just feel like you know. <laughs> I, I guess the point that I was making was is that I feel. I agreed though. 
that there's a way, you know, to speak to that too and to look at – because and, – and I've talked with you before. It's easy to look – okay, we look at films and we say, well, there's these different genres in films. And so, you know, and that's the same thing with painting. You look at painting and you say all those movements are like genres basically, right? Yeah. And you look at a film and it's like there's horror and there's drama and there's comedy and, you know, there's all of these different types of film. And so it's like we're trying to separate them and say, okay, well, film's over here and it has these various genres and then art is over here and it has these various right. genres. But I think that there's something wrong with that construct. I don't think that that makes sense. I think that what we should be dealing with is bringing those together. They're both art forms and henceforth art and therefore could fall under similar, quote, genres or movements right. as it were. Yeah, I guess the – I don't know. Horror movies are almost like – or, or – or. I can't say all horror movies, but the horror genre, you wouldn't necessarily say it's an art film genre. It's more like a porn genre. <laughs> horror, you know, it's like exploitation films, as they call them. It's, it's, they're made to make money, and, and they're done cheaply, and they're made to be shocking. And But, you know, David Lynch is the exception rather than the rule of, you know, creating art art films that are also very dark and horrific and horrible, you know, or hor not horrible, and, but you know what I mean? And, and to whatever degree commercially acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Cause the thing is, if you don't have an audience, then, you know, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I, I have to create art. So if I didn't have an audience, which I haven't had an audience for many years at a time, <laughs> and I still continue to feverishly create art because I need, as we talked before, it's, it's, I'm compelled to do it. I need right. to do it. It's, it's healthy for me and I must do it. But once you have an audience or if you're intending to have one, then you're actually utilizing the thing that you're passionate about to affect the, the larger, the world at large, you know, and, and that's an, an amazing thing. And I think that it's a necessary thing if you intend to actually see art as social commentary that lends to the ultimate evolution of human thought and human behavior, which is what art should. And, and ultimately if it's done right, does do. Absolutely. I've something I've been saying to you, um, for the last, uh, month or I guess last month is now that, we have this um, new president and a and a new you know a new uh, administration in the White House and a new divided country, very divided country, you know, more divided and than I've ever seen it in my lifetime, and that is kind of making dark art. Well, it's not making dark art become the most valid art form but it's kind of uh dark art is has been has taken on a new meaning i i feel like all of my artwork now is is different because of this uh the circumstances in the culture are so different right now in in what way would you in what way would you say that your artwork is different as a result of this well it's hard because i don't want to get into politics yeah and i'm not <laughs> expecting you to but i guess what i'm saying is is like just from a like from me from a, a you know a fan a friend and and an art critic you know what would you say if i were to look at one of your paintings would i notice or is it just the way it feels you know i guess is more what i'm curious about i don't care about what is making it do that we i get that we don't need to talk about that but i'm curious what it is what i see a difference in it as a viewer well i think the general feeling in the country and in the world is fear more than ever, probably, at least since 9-11. Um, and artwork that confronts fear and is about fear is more relevant now. And it just, it, it to me, it all takes on a new meaning. Um, I don't know, when you're faced with uh, scary circumstances in your life and for, you know, I would... I'm going to just say I think most of us are probably feeling the fear um, of this new direction the country's taking. And uh, I don't know. The, the, the artwork just has a different resonance now to me. It feels more relevant and more legitimate. And in a sense, it almost feels like I don't want to, you know, put too much importance on us as dark artists, but it's almost like we kind of saw it coming and predicted it <laughs> in a way, you mm -hmm. know, predicted this 
this scary world we're living in. And uh, right. But you've always, I mean, you've always, you know, painted things that might invoke fear and scary images and creatures and things. So what you're saying really is it's more the feeling that you have around what it is that you're doing that's changed as opposed to the execution. It's not a perceptual change. Absolutely. For the the audience anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, before it was more of a... um, a, a pure expression of anxiety and fear. And now I look at stuff that was created during, you know, the last 10 years and, uh, it's instead of feeling like an inner thing, it feels like an outer thing, you know, instead of feeling like this was gotcha. this personal feeling for me, it's more like, this is how a lot of people feel now, you know? That's what it seems different to me. And and it just feels like, again, not to put place too much self-importance on us, but it really, I, I think political art doesn't do it like dark art does. You know, political art is, is kind of uh, like so much political art tells you exactly what to think. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a, like a gag or something like a one mm-hmm. one off gag joke or something and you get the joke right away and you know what what was going on whereas the dark stuff um the good dark stuff i think ha- has more of a sense of of mystery like i mentioned before and um it uh, uh kind of pushes you to question things more and and gets you kind of wondering about your own inner demons and you know what's going on in the world and it seems like maybe it's more it's more of a mirror it's more reflective it's more of a medicine wheel right right exactly yeah that's how it feels now to me you know you know i it's interesting i had a teacher that taught me creative writing in high school and i never forgot some of the lessons and i've had a lot of teachers and professors and various just people whether those were scholastically or just personally that have taught me certain things and mrs topi taught me this thing called show don't tell sdt we would write hey that's a rush song sh- <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and it's i'm sure she didn't make it up but she was a teacher and so she taught a show don't tell and it's hung with me ever since not only in my writings certainly but also in my filmmaking and my everything really and the whole idea again is it's in a nutshell what you were just saying which is that you know the, this political art's really kind of in your face it's just telling you you know and dark art is more mysterious it's more of a mirror reflecting back to you and allowing that engagement and that visual dialogue to occur between the audience and the piece it's it's showing you whatever you know right. it's not telling telling you anything yeah you know? yeah you know say for example a painting of a guy getting beat up on a street corner that wouldn't be dark art you know but if you're painting the feeling of the guy getting beaten up on the street corner, that would be dark art. You That's an I mean? interesting distinction. It's more, I guess, about feeling to me than it is about telling you what to think. You know, I think that's maybe why the, the I, I've noticed that the, the dark art, maybe it's because it's getting more wider acceptance that um, there are people on both sides of the political spectrum that enjoy dark art also, you know. Yeah, I have noticed that it's really interesting and and I think encouraging too because it should be something that ultimately brings people together. I mean, if we can if we can at least come together over our vulnerability. If we can rather than being dejected and feeling that we we have somehow split apart and been fractured as a result of being scared and anxious and vulnerable. If we can find a way to actually bond to come together and be like, God, I'm just as vulnerable as you, you know, and that could actually make us feel a harmony that is lacking right now, which probably lends to all of the, you know, antagonistic vibes that are going on, going on right now in the world. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, Everybody's going to die and everybody's scared shitless of dying or most people. Um, Everybody's afraid of, getting some disease or going bankrupt or not having enough food to eat. I mean, everybody's got these anxieties, you know, just like everybody feels love and feels pain. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a common denominator that we all have as human beings is that we do, we feel fear and 
everybody feels fear. But what's interesting, you know, I think, and as a result of us being small pack animals, you know, small group minded pack animals is that I think that ultimately we, if you feel that sensation of fear and anxiety and trepidation and, and, you know, whatever you're feeling in your life on your own, it's a really heavy burden to shoulder. Whereas if you just simply sit with three other people that feel the same thing for totally different reasons, mm-hmm. ultimately there is this sense of, of galvanization that occurs between those people and this sense of like, no, you know, there are other people that are doing this. I'm not the only one. Right. And I think it takes a person out of that self-important stance and puts them back in the, you know what? I'm going to work hard and I'm going to struggle, but I'm going to do the best I can because that's what everybody else is doing too, you know. And there's a sense of, uh, uh, you know, people coming together and and that it so, seems so odd that that would happen over something that's dark. And, and yet right. that's the beauty of it somehow, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, when yeah, when you, exactly what you said. When you get together and actually openly discuss what you're afraid of or what you're feeling, your your feelings of fear – you feel so much better. I mean, with me, it was, I guess with, you know, visual art as well, all kinds of art as well. I've always, the thing that, uh, I've always related to it. That's why I've always liked it. But, you know, specifically punk music, the kind of punk that I like, <clears throat> which is this, you know, I like a lot of different types of music, but I'll say no means no because I specifically remember driving home in traffic, you know, about five years into the fine art career while I was still working in makeup effects. It was killing me to work, go to work every day and work on these movies that I know were going to come out bad and production didn't really care if they were bad or good it was all about making money and i just felt like i was so wasting my time and i was getting a taste of success in the fine art business and it was just oh it was so hard and then sitting in traffic for an hour and a half each way um i remember just feeling so much better to crank no means no up it just made me feel because i was getting the it wasn't even necessarily like the song about i hate my job or anything like that it was like that feeling, it was just the feeling that was coming through the music that made me feel, it just made me feel better. It was like a mm-hmm, pacifier mm-hmm. or a, 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 you know, a soothing kind of thing. And it just, it, it, it made it bearable for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, too, another kind of a, a peripheral of that is, you know, if I was a kid, if I, when I was a kid, and I was dealing with all these kind of horrific nightmares and then creating this dark art, you know, and there was no culture of that that existed. And right. so all I could do is like gravitate to like, it was Halloween. That would be great. I could right. like share with other people this thing and, or haunted houses or heavy metal or whatever yeah. I could, there, there had to be something, you know, but we th- kind of were bereft. I was bereft of that and didn't really have that sensation. So I think to myself now the opportunity for kids that were, you know, like six to 10 year old kids you know, that get this opportunity to go and see this, this dark stuff in a gallery and see other people talking about it and looking at it. And like, just the opportunity to feel like, oh my God, at that age, starting at that age, feel like I'm not alone. And and even though I can't talk to my parents maybe about this, I can't talk to my peers about this maybe, there are people out there in the world that, you know, see scary shit too and they're dealing with it. And yet they're not hiding. They're putting it out in the open and they're talking about it and they're selling it and the people are excited and happy. And it's just, it's such a paradigm shift and it's, I'm just encouraged and excited and hopeful as a result of seeing that occur in our world, you know. Yeah, and can you think of another art movement or art scene that's like that? I can't think of any other art scene that's like that, to where you're going to a place, all the paintings are scary and creepy and weird, and all the people are super cool, cooler than average, mm-hmm. nicer than, yeah, I mean, definitely. In this cool in the sense of nice and kind, um, and everybody... The the vibes at these shows are so good, you know. Like my sister, when she first went to one of my shows, she was like, "I, you know, she, in the documentary, she said that, yeah, I couldn't believe everyone's so nice." 
And I just I think, know, and she, it was funny the way she said it too. Cause like she really just showed all her cards, you know, right. she wasn't trying to like, she, she just straight up was like, yeah. I just could cause I thought they would all be like freaks, you know, she didn't really say that, but like that was the old, I mean, she said five more words, but they amounted to that. She, and she showed it. She was like, yeah, I was thinking, well, these people are going to be freaky. And she's yeah. like, God, it'd be so cool and nice. And it was, yeah, it was uh, such a learning experience for her. And that's how it is for a lot of people that are not exposed to this kind of artwork you know they they didn't know a place like this existed and and if you think logically uh you know or not think when if you just kind of um consider oh the dark art is probably really fucked up people and really negative and the people are all brooding and this and that so it's it's kind of a shock when you go to these shows i mean every i've never been to a dark art show where the people were assholes or there was a Mm -hmm. weird vibe. Mm -hmm. It's always, always the opposite. It's always this kind of joyful feeling to every show I've been to. That's kind of a dark art show. Yeah. And everybody's hugging everybody and laughing. And and it's so odd when you think about it, it's cool. It's great. And it's, that's what um, I think one of the things that got us on the, the track of, bringing that into the film, into the documentary was noticing, shit, I hit my pop screen again, noticing (laughs) how strange that was. It's like, even us too. It's it's so funny (laughs) too. What it tells you though, is like how amazingly powerful, you know, the indoctrination of prejudice is in all people, even people that are dark artists from born to now, you know, and, and weird all the way through, you know, we have even have this perception indoctrinated, ingrained, just stuffed right. into us. It's like a device that's like implanted in our brain. That's like, if someone does this, then this, and even you're walking around doing the thing and you're still probably thinking like, Oh, other people, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we, and, but it, it, it only came to the conscious, you know, the conscious surface from the unconscious surface as a result of like you said making the documentary seeing these shows thinking about these people and being like shocked and then surprised at being shocked yeah, that right. you know like what the <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think maybe we touched in this in the documentary but for so long I felt kind of guilty about doing make painting monsters and think I remember I was thinking at one point that maybe I was in some kind of spiritual or psychological pain and I felt and and maybe I'm maybe it makes me feel better to make other people feel bad like I wonder if there's this weird fucked up part of me that I'm not aware of wow it, it, yeah and, and and it was this I had this guilt about it because I was enjoying it so much and um and maybe maybe partly what played into that, you know, is that because you were a prankster as a kid, you know what I yeah. mean? And and as a prankster, you are doing something to get a reaction out of another person. Right. So it'd be easy to translate that into, well, if I'm doing this kind of art, then maybe it's to get whatever reaction as opposed to it's actually something I'm doing for my own internal processes. And the rest of it is secondary on a certain level. Right. Because, yeah, when I would do the pranks when I was a kid it was always about scaring people I mean that was my favorite thing to do is scare people (laughs) because I don't know if it's it was it may have had you know it may have been like a power thing you know like I'm I'm not the the scared little kid now I'm the one in control (laughs) I just scared the shit out of you maybe think like cut my hand off or whatever for that moment it could have could have been that but um and that might be part of why I still do it, but I, I feel like at this point, I don't, I don't think that's actually, I don't think that's why I do it. I really feel like it's, no, I'm not saying, I guess I'm not saying that's why you do it. I'm just saying that maybe that's why you made the bridge in your mind from thinking, having guilt over this art and thinking maybe I'm getting off on people reacting to this scary stuff. You know what I mean? Maybe that's where that came from was a carryover from your tendency to be a prankster as a younger person. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. That's and, all I meant. Yeah. Uh, you know, also, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a way that I formed my identity as a kid, too. It was, you know, I, instead of, just, you know, being all withdrawn, how I kind of felt inside, I would be, I was, I was okay to be the weird kid that liked the monster movies and the monsters because that was better than being nothing, you know, that was better than being the kid that is afraid of the world and doesn't really, you know, want to go out much. 
you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, take us, you know, so I didn't mean to, I totally took you off track and, and I, I didn't mean to do that, but, you know, take us back to what you were saying about, you know, the fact that you had this guilt and this fear oh, right. that maybe, and then what, you know, the healing process. Yeah. Well, I, I, I kept doing it because I was, you know, uh, as I mentioned, I was testing the Joseph Campbell follow your bliss theory. And I thought if, if I can, my bliss is painting monsters, creating monsters in some way as fine art. And if I can make a living doing that, then the, the theory will be true because it's such a long shot that that would become successful, especially at the time there was not a scene like that at all. And um, so as much as I felt, I didn't know why I was doing it. I just knew that I loved it. So I kept doing it. I was trusting my, my, my intuition and, and trusting my, uh, this artistic impulse that I had. So as much as I was feeling guilty about it, I just, I still kept doing it. And <clears throat> I just wrestled with it in my mind a lot, you know, until eventually I just kind of was like, I, I can't worry about this anymore because it's too much fun. <laughs> I loved doing this too much. This is definitely my bliss. So, you know, even if it is for some weird reason like that, I'm going to keep doing it because I love to do it and I can't keep worrying about it. So, but eventually once we started talking about things really is when I started, we started kind of coming up with this idea that, um, dark art is, is maybe, uh, it's not about, shocking people or scaring people it's about creating empathy in people really because that's what i get off on the most when someone says they they feel sorry for the monster that i painted that's the thing i love mm -hmm, the most mm -hmm. it's like you're you're because that's how i feel about them you know they, they make me feel like i want to cry sometimes or so like you hurt for them you know it's like you see it and you're like oh because you could just I feel that way too sometimes and that's what it's all about. And, um, it's and, and on another level, it's creating, um, at, at least with my work, it's creating kind of, uh, empathy towards, uh, I wish I was you so I could say it better. <laughs> um, you know, em em empathy towards, uh, an outsider, I guess, you know, uh, a powerless outsider, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and that's i mean it's kind of in, in many ways to make somebody feel empathy for something that would normally scare them or to feel sympathy for something that normally right. would scare them is a major shift for most people i mean i remember when i took the i took a leap of my own minor compared to what you're talking about but i was reading carlos castaneda and i think it was in the active side of infinity which is like the end of the 13 book series it's a lot of books and he's talking basically about, you know, he was sitting at his desk and there's a spider crawling across his desk and he looks down at it. And his first instinct is just to smash it, you know. Mm. And then he, he realizes, and I don't remember the dynamic of how it occurred, but ultimately what he realized is that, you know, he is the proverbial spider on something beyond his comprehension's desk. And he would much prefer that it came along and scooped him up and took him outside as opposed to smash him. Mm -hmm. And so that really stuck with me. And mm. ever since then, of course, I've anytime I see a spider in the house, I chauffeur the spider outside. And I, you know, but it's, it's not about, it's not like I think I'm going to get something for doing that. It's an intrinsic thing that I'm doing because I feel this like if I was in that and, and to feel that about a spider and it's mm. not it's not like some airy fairy thing. It's like just genuinely I know that there are things that are far beyond my comprehension that are bigger than me. And, you know, I, I would just like to think that they would have empathy or sympathy for me like I would for something smaller that maybe can't comprehend what I am. And, and I think your artwork does a very similar thing. You know, you're looking at these beings that are ugly and, you know, disturbing. And that thing, if you woke up in the middle of the night and saw that in your room, you'd be <laughs> terrified, you know, and yet you're looking at it in a way, like you've said before, in a gallery where it's safe and it's, and, and you're able to look at it and then you're able to feel bad for this thing that should actually be scaring you. Right. So it's this, it's a weird catch 22 that occurs. Yeah. You know? that, that's what, that's what I think is, or, you know, one of the things I think that's important about the, the dark art movement. And, um, my, my work specifically, I think that's, what's really interesting. It's unusual. You know, I can't think of another art form that does that. 
you know? Yeah, well, and I and I think about, you know, like, uh, there are some hot buttons, there's some things that, you know, just primally we respond to as just, you know, as humans. And, and so like, for instance, it's easy to look at a painting and find a figure attractive, you know, it's, and, it, and we all know what is attractive. And symmetry is one of those things that contributes to that, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. A lot of cultural stuff. But I think that, again, it's, the, the easy route is to paint something that people would be attractive to attracted to the hard route is to paint something that people should be detracted from right. and yet they're attracted to it but not for traditional reasons right. <laughs> yeah it's more fun that way like i I've, i always say that painting is it's like a puzzle game i've said this to you before and it's you know the game is you know make make the make an interesting picture out of nothing and you know you're figuring out how to put all the parts in to make it work and moving things around and um you know with dark art it's 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 a different version of the puzzle of the art puzzle it's like you know how do you at least at least for what i'm doing because not every dark artist is doing this. Some some go for straight out horror, which I I, I dig that too. You know, I, I like I like horror. I think it's cool. It's fun, and um, but it's the you know how to arrange the thing to basically how you, what you said, which is uh, you know be be repulsed and attracted at the same time. Um, I that's just and and that that is just what i want to paint also you know it's not like i'm sitting here wanting to paint hot chicks but i'm a committed dark artist so i'm not it's like i just never felt compelled to paint that sort of thing and other artists do obviously i mean it's time from forever that's the 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 beauty of uh the human body and especially the female body is you know the probably the biggest subject of uh you know the biggest most accepted subject of paintings from since the beginning of time but um i like well and that's why you find it you know that's why you find in most uh, film or in you know even now television the way that these television series are being produced you know there's always going to be some level of spectacle or sensationalism because it, it plays to those primal urges and it will turn on more people than not and so it's a surefire win you know right. and i'm not saying that it's a marketing decision that most artists make i'm sure most artists do paint from or draw from or create from a place like you do a place of intuition or a place of feeling um, but nevertheless you know, there's again, there's there's a likelihood of success being an odds kind of guy, and I thinking about gambling. You know, or the right. odds of painting something attractive and having more people attracted to it are much higher than the odds of painting something unattractive right. and having people <laughs> attracted to it. Yeah, it's more of a fun game to me. You know, that's part of it, but it's just what I feel like painting. I always paint what I love. You know? Well, you know, and again, you call it mystery, and I've and I'm a big fan of the word ambiguity, of course, because yeah. I'm like a five dollar word guy. I just love my words, because I, I feel like every word has a different, you know, a little different intonation to Definitely. it, a little different spin on it. And you know, I learned about ambiguity in college from a film professor, which I can't remember his name. I can't rattle him off like I did Mrs. Topi, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, you know, he really beat that into our heads in this film appreciation course, this this idea of ambiguity. Basically, you know, and the best way to illustrate it and talking horror is like the likelihood of showing something that's occurring that's violent versus hearing something but not seeing something that's violent right there illustrates ambiguity yeah. ultimately yeah. because – go ahead. No, I'm sorry. It's pro- that, That's a better word. You know, ambiguity definitely is a well, and word. I think that and and when well, this is the danger with ambiguity is it is hard to facilitate. When done poorly, you lose your audience, and when done well, you have a big bang. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's it's dangerous territory. And like for instance, and I just thought of this because you were telling me I, I recorded the gamble, my short story on audio, and just put it up on my my SoundCloud. And, you know, it's 30 minutes long. And I know you got a little bit lost in there. And it's because of the plot device that I used when I wrote it. I didn't write it in sequential order. It's a right. non 
nonlinear story. And also, of course, I'm reading it and I'm doing female voices. It's hard to delineate between the characters. (laughs) Nevertheless, I mean, I know you enjoyed it, but I guess the point that I'm making is, is that what you told me was that for you, the ambiguity was a little bit too much, which is to say that you didn't quite put the pieces together. I got a little bit far ahead of you as a creator, right? Right. You know, you, you want them to get to the destination point that you have determined in advance, but you want to be one step ahead of them all the way. Yeah. You get too far ahead, you lose them. You let them get ahead, they already know, and they're like stupid, already figured it out. You know, and so for you, it was a little too ambiguous. But nevertheless, you know, it was it, it that line, even in writing, literature, whatever, that line of ambiguity, I think dignifies part of what we're talking about, this idea of, quote, dark art. Dark being almost a, another word for ambiguity. And it's right. Like, you can't quite see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same with, you know, having having a sense of mystery. That's, you know, if you get into the the idea of darkness and the idea of blackness, uh, absence of light, you know, you don't know what's there. There's there's a There's a whole metaphorical angle to the dark art title as well you know what i mean and yeah, definitely i just i think uh, you know maybe we sh- what we should be saying is not what is dark art but what is good dark art because i think what, <laughs> what what good dark art is in my opinion is it has that sense of ambiguity and a sense of mystery and the dark part of dark art isn't just monsters and scariness but the ambiguity and the uncertainty and the 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 openness of of uh, being able to put your own ideas into the painting, or the the, the reflection, the reflective idea, mm-hmm. the mirror yeah. idea. Ah, I'm so bad at speaking. I hate it. <laughs> oh, I hate it. You're not as bad as you think you are. You're not. Uh, You're your own worst critic. I think, like all of us are of ourselves. <laughs> Well, hopefully, you know, after we do a bunch of these, I'll, I'll get better. I feel like I'm better at speaking You're better on this one. than the, the first podcast, which I have to say, the first podcast, and I know I told you this, but I have to tell it to everybody. I was so impressed with your 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 <laughs> oh, no. speaking is, is amazing. I feel like you're the secret weapon of the Dark Art Society podcast. Or like you said, come for the chat, stay for the mic. <laughs> I thought that's the perfect catchphrase. That's, that's when I throw out my my one. That's what she said for the uh, podcast. <laughs> Told you I was going to reserve one per podcast to pay you back for infiltrating my life with such a painful and derogatory uh, comedic stance. All right, I can accept that. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's been a lot of fun, and I think that we are right around the hour mark here. We're just like comfortably talking, and then I looked over and I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. Yeah. So, you kn- do you have more things that you'd like to cover today before we? You no, know, wrap not up? really. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I think we should just go for it, and you know. Well, I'd like to do a little personal uh, shout out and promotion for myself here. Um, I'll just tour myself for one moment. Uh, I did mention that I recorded my short story, The Gamble, and if you enjoy my voice here and you like what I say and how I say it. I put it together with a little bit of music and sound effects and stuff, so it's kind of like mystery theater radio style. Yes, it's very fun. Um, so if you get a chance, it is soundcloud.com forward slash NRG creations. That's energy creations. So, And also you should head over when you get a chance to chetzar.bigcartel.com. I know he's going to be having a sale soon for Twilight Zone studies, but he also has a variety of other really cool dark art stuff and copies of well, the film he's been talking about throughout the entire podcast, Chetzar, I Like to Paint Monsters. Thank you. The uh, Twilight Zone studies may be sold by the time this airs, though. So just ah, right, <laughs> right. Throwing that Good caveat point. in there. See, and this is the and, and the truth of the matter is, this is my learning curve with podcasts because I forget about how that all rolls. So yeah, but you, nevertheless, there's always good stuff over there. And and again, if you want to see the documentary or you want to get it for a friend that doesn't understand dark art, it's a great way a liaison. We've had lots of people tell us. You know, people don't understand dark art. They watch the film, and all of a sudden, they have the aha. Even my parents, when I showed it to them for the first time, they, my dad was like, "I finally get it. I was always <laughs> supportive of you, but I finally actually get it." You know, so again, if you get a chance, pick it up, and uh, also rate and review us if you can on iTunes, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Amazon. All those are great, and it helps us. Yes, uh, I want to throw in uh, also that uh, since we're doing this for free and not doing it through some kind of paid service. If you support us through our uh, other endeavors or buy something from our websites or whatever, that will help keep this podcast going. So instead of 
forcing people to pay for it. We're like, hey, could you buy something cool you might like? And that will be the way you can support us. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, always look forward to when we're going to have Kickstarters. But for me, even more than anything, since I don't even have, I took the store off my webpage, so I just don't make money. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You can support me by sharing the things that I do, like the gamble or any other of my social media stuff, pictures and stuff like that on on, uh, social media. If you share it around, more people see it, share the documentary, share the title of the documentary. We just ultimately want to reach as many people as we can with it. It's the only reason to even hustle it because there's never been a dollar sign aside from the one that went into making it. (laughs) Yeah. The point really now is just trying to get it out to as many people as we can, because again, we're advocating for dark art. Yeah. And that's really what the movie's all about in its essence. You know, it's not just this documentary about me, which it appears to be. It's really about the dark art movement. And it's about a lot of different things, actually. But that's a big, big part of it is what dark art is, what it means, why it's important and why it's good, a force for good in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I mean, again, this is totally, it really is ultimately made possible by you. If you guys weren't interested in listening, which we hope you will be and continue to be, we wouldn't be able to do this. So this is, it's been a lot of fun and we continue to want to do it uh, if we can every week. Yeah. So thanks. And uh, I guess we'll sign off. All right. Thanks guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.